welcome to episode 5 of the Bible of You podcast. In this episode, Nigel Watts talks to Lindsay Heyman, pilgrim and author of When God Takes Over, about carrying a large wooden cross from place to place around the world and how he faces fear and violence. We pray you are inspired by Lindsay's unique ministry. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individual speaking and may not represent the views of Precept Ministries UK. We hope and pray that this podcast will bless you in your walk of faith. If it does, leave us a rating or review and subscribe for more podcasts every Friday. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. I would like to welcome Lindsay Heyman to the program today. Uh, Being a pilgrim, following Jesus, is an essential part of the life of a Christian. And Lindsay is continuing this tradition of being a pilgrim in a very special way. I first met Lindsay about three years ago at the Creation Fest Christian Conference in Cornwall and immediately detected something very special about this guy. Starting in 1987, Lindsay started carrying a wooden cross on his back. And I'm not talking about a small wooden cross here. I'm talking a socking great wooden cross, 55 pounds, 25 kilograms. And he started carrying it across the UK. And since that time has done this in over 25 countries across the world. Today, he is uh, 65 years old, uh, suffering from uh, not such good health, uh, probably as a result of all his adventures, but he still carries the cross as he is able to do so. Uh, Lindsay grew up in West Cornwall. He loves travelling. He loves the outdoor life. You'd have to, wouldn't you? Uh, And and uh, notably, he cites four inspirational people who have had a significant impact in his life. Uh, One is his father and his father's Irish humour. Secondly, his youth leader's authentic walk as a Christian. A 16-year-old's compassion for the homeless. And Arthur Blissett's courage and love for Jesus and for the world. Lindsay, it is wonderful to have you on the programme today. And uh, we were just talking before the interview, and uh, I'm going to start with the question I wouldn't normally start with, um, but what were you doing this morning? Out in the streets <laughs> in the rain. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Um, we were out in the streets. I've got a mate who, who felt God calling him to, to just get a guitar and start singing, worshipping on the streets and, and, and preach, a bit like John Wesley preaching on the streets. And as soon as I met this guy a few years ago, I thought, I want to... I wanna, I want to do some work with him. So we were out with Andy, Andy Giddings and myself and a few others just worshipping the Lord. But the presence of God, suddenly the presence of God was there. Um, I switched myself off from all the hubbub and all the, the people. And uh, I, 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 we started preaching. I felt such freedom. I felt it was like I was pumped up with love. That's the only way I can describe it. I, I felt I didn't feel scared of anybody. Um, Shaking people by the hand and saying, you know, God loves you. God loves people coming looking really miserable as hell. Sort of thing. Oh, we're shopping. Uh, but I just felt so free. So it's full of joy. And I didn't even feel, you know, how church makes you a bit tense and a bit religious, as I call it. A bit sort of, and not really yourself. But I felt so, so myself. It was almost like I was drunk. That's the only way I can describe it. But 
in the spirit. In the spirit. And I, th- I had this love for people, which mm. um, Romanians would come along, I would cuddle them and say Bunazina to them, and, <laughs> and then there would be somebody who was like very angry. or be, And then uh, we ended up praying with the, the local rubbish guy to accept Jesus into his heart, the <laughs> guy that collects the rubbish. But sincerely, this was not, he wasn't doing that out of just a simple guy. He wasn't a simple guy, he was a great guy. And then another guy prayed to accept the Lord just before he left. And then we ended up in Costa Coffee with a guy who's struggling with, you know, violence, drugs, and all that sort of stuff. It was a fantastic time. I was just, you know, I, I, I had to say, look, I've got to go. I've got to come to Weybridge to meet my friend and go to an interview. Um, but the joy, I, can, I do not know any other joy in my life. Obviously, the joy of being in love is, is a great one. I've seen your kids born and things like that. But the joy of being on the street and seeing Jesus nowadays touch people's hearts. It was just wonderful. It was, just, it was magic. It was like, this is what God's doing. He's getting the church from out the building, out, sure, vulnerable on the streets, but then accessible to people. Now, you haven't always been out on the streets, um, I guess. Um, how did you become a follower of Jesus? Well... <laughs> I would love to have a great story of it once I was a drug addict and worse of it. I wasn't. I had a great, great upbringing. Parents had come to know Jesus. I prayed with my mum at the age of six. I still remember it. I still remember thinking I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know I wanted Jesus in my heart. I actually believe Jesus did come into my heart at that age because all I remembered through my teenage days when everybody else at school was saying, oh, it's rubbish, you know, God doesn't exist. I thought, no, he does exist. I want to be on the side of Jesus. Mm. I loved reading Luke's Gospel for GCSE. It wasn't because I was in church or I had to read anything. I got intrigued as I read Luke's Gospel, J.B. Phillips' version of the Bible. I loved what I read. My love for Jesus was growing. I remember at the age of 14, understanding for the first time in my life about Jesus' death for me. A guy once said in the Boys Brigade Bible class. Next time you see a picture of Jesus dying, remember that you caused him to be killed. And I was so angry with him for saying that. I thought I would never cause Jesus to be killed. But my dad just said to me very simply, Jesus died for the human race. That's all he said. And everything clicked. At that moment, I thought I'm part of the human race. I knew I was a sinner. Nobody had to tell me that I was a sinner. I knew that I could be selfish. I could be critical. And suddenly the gospel made sense to me at the age of 14 but I found church very very boring I, I I'm a you know I'm into rock climbing and exciting things and yeah. sitting listening to what is like a university lecture or a <laughs> choir practice is not didn't cut it for you didn't cut it for me no so there was a, there was a hunger and I, and I always was the bolshie guy questioning at the youth group I was the one that was saying how do you know it's real how do you know it's not mind of a matter and always a pain in the neck for the youth leader, probably. <laughs> uh, but at the age of 18, when I left home, and I thought, now I can do all the naughties. Now I can have sex with a girl. Now I can get drunk. Now mm. I can be one of the lads. Mm. Because I, out of the influence of my parents or the church. Yes. But I had a hunger in me. And I'd go to parties and feel it's so empty. You know, nobody told me to feel the emptiness, but I would feel this incredible sense of how plastic it all was. People pretending to be happy being happy because they were drunk, but you could see it wasn't real. And I remember walking home one night saying that, God, there must be more than this. Mm. There must be something greater. I hadn't experienced it. I I believed all the right things. I'd got Jesus in my heart. 
And then I went to a, a Pentecostal church, uh, something like the Muppet Show. It just made me laugh, all the, all the vibrancy of it. But the pastor had a word of knowledge. He said, there's a young man here who's a Christian already, but he's searching for God. And that was my, I wouldn't say it was my conversion moment, but that's when the, the knife hit my heart, if you like. And, and my heart started beating, and I was right at the point where I had to put my hand up. Uh, and there was a usual battle. But I put my hand up. The pastor prayed over me. He doesn't know this to this day what happened, because after he prayed for me, he put his hand on my head, nothing happened. And I felt, it doesn't work. This Whatever I was going forward for prayer doesn't work. But half an hour later on my motorbike outside the church, I was going home, my girlfriend got on the back. I was not in any way expecting any experience sitting on my motorbike. But God chose that moment to touch me with his spirit. And I don't know what, whether I, I was filled with the spirit at that moment. I don't know what terminology to, to, to use. It's just that God touched me at that moment. I felt God's presence. I felt this tremendous sense of inner peace. The presence as if Jesus was standing next to my motorbike. I had met Jesus that moment. And then I knew it was not mind of a matter. It was not just what my parents had taught me, what I'd been brought up, indoctrinated to believe. I had met the living Jesus. That was 45 years ago, I guess. And I keep meeting Jesus in that sort of way. I keep falling in love with God. My, my faith is constantly one of saying, God, are you really there? And then the power of God will touch me, and I just know that he's really there. So that's my story. I used to be a social worker, gave it all up, because I knew that the young men that I was trying to help needed a power stronger than I could give as another human being. And obviously the, the name Jesus means, means, means saviour, rescuer, and I, and I used to be broke the rules quite often and, and talked to them about Jesus. But I felt this nagging, like a conscience nagging me, you need to be out on the streets with these same young people, but pushing me rather than putting all your energies into social work. So I made that decision to, to, to live by faith, if you like, by trusting Jesus and, and, and to give up my full-time job and to work on the streets, in schools, in colleges. I've been to all sorts of interesting places, brothels and prisons and places I wouldn't. My mother would be shocked at some of the places <laughs> I found myself in. Uh, and I've had the most amazingly enriched life as a result. I haven't always had a lot of money. I've often been scared and always out of my depth. I don't think I would ever say that I knew what I was doing. I always feel I wish there was a stronger Christian with me who I could rely on and hide behind. And God has said, I am that unseen power. I am the one that you can hide behind. So when I go into a pub or I, I'm carrying the cross in a, in a country where it's dangerous and I'm feeling very, very scared, he's the one that I'm hiding behind. And I have to say, he's proved himself to me over and over again. Wow. <laughs> so I want to take you back to the point at which you started carrying that cross. Yeah. How did that happen? And why, why did you do that? Because it's quite an unusual thing. To it do. is, it is. Um, at the age of 18, this happened just after that experience with the motorbike that I told you about. I heard Arthur Blessed preaching Westminster Central Hall. And I saw the Lord shining from his face. For those that don't know Arthur Blissett, do you yeah. want to just explain? That's, that's, yeah, he, he, he's an American uh, preacher who uh, has carried 
the same size cross as myself, but he's carried it through every country in the world over um, from the 70s, I think he started probably. And he has uh, experienced great danger. He carried it, in, for example, in Beirut at the time of, of the um, crisis in Lebanon. He, you know, he's risked being killed many times, been imprisoned and been beaten up. But when I saw that guy standing on the stage uh, as a young guy in 1971, Something happened spiritually inside of me. I remember thinking to myself, whatever that guy's got, I want what he's got. And this guy just led a, Arthur just led a, a, a hell's angel to the Lord. And he had his arm around this hell's angel. And he told stories about witnessing in strip clubs and boxing rings and, you know, witnessing to, 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 to people, celebrities, and just witnessing, sharing Jesus with everybody. He was seemed unstoppable. It was almost like he'd come straight from the New Testament uh, and had this courage and this joy and this vibrancy. And I remember thinking, you know, that's the type of guy I want to be. I want what he's got. Well, I'm going to say that I've got in the measure that he's got. He's like my hero, you know. He's like a, a great tennis player that you emulate, you know. But, 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 but he put that seed in me. And, and, and he carried across. So that there was a point where I, 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 a mate of mine went away from God. We used to do a lot of, we used to do school assemblies together. And he just went away from God, went away to university. He was filled with academia and lost his faith. And I started praying for him. And I started saying, God, do I need to fast for this guy? And I tried fasting because I got nervous energy, metabolism. I get ill every time I fast, straight away, instant illness. So I thought, well, I can't fast in the normal way, but I'll fast by walking. At that time, he'd moved away to Plymouth. So I decided I'd walk from Land's End to Plymouth and pray all day, every day during that journey, praying for him to come back to God. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be walking on the, in the open road, why don't I make it a walk of witness? Why don't I have a, a cross constructed and carry the cross like Arthur does? So I started off on the first day at Land's End, windy, uh, walking like a drunk guy but I remember the day so vividly and I felt a sense of destiny it just felt it was like God was saying this is the start of something exciting in your life and that's exactly how it's been I walked to Plymouth I found that even when I walked into Penzance I got invited into the local pub uh, I got to bring the cross in the pub people were stopping their cars why are you carrying the cross I st- you just start witnessing for Jesus just sharing Jesus sharing your heart uh, and that was 1987. Uh, and as you say, I've visited about 25, 26 countries now, I think it is. Uh, and I just want to keep going. Um, so the guy was supposed to meet me in Plymouth. And I had a vision of him kneeling down by the uh, by the sort of uh, tower there in, in Plymouth and, and recommitting his life to the Lord. He said he'd meet me. He never turned up. I was totally deflated. Oh. Uh, he's still my friend. He still hasn't come back to Jesus, but oh. he started me off on this walk. So that would it, be what thirty years ago? Yeah, nineteen eighty-seven. Thirty-one yeah, years ago. Oh, I carried on. There. I think the next walk. Then I went walk from Plymouth to London, and again I saw the same sort of things happening. And then from London, London to Brighton, or all, all around Ireland, round Wales. I just kept on going, and then it got big. Oh. Then London to um, Paris. No, London to Berlin, and then Berlin to Moscow, and then 
Oh my goodness me. Paris to, what was it, um, Berlin to Paris and then through Slovakia and Hungary and it just kept on going and it gained a momentum. Uh, how did you, how did, I mean, financially, how did you survive? I mean, I mean, you don't have to answer that. No, 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 no. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I survived. <laughs> I, I can't remember how it happened because, you know, um, I would start a walk. Uh, I, 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 w- I was living right on the, you'd say, on minimum wage level, working, I think it was for Youth for Christ in those days, uh, walking with, with donations would come in. Yeah. All I know is that somehow my expenses would be met. Um, and then I, I ended up uh, doing care work to try and bring money in uh, once my first marriage fell apart. And uh, we had eight weeks holiday in that NHS uh, care work. Uh, I used every every week to go some somewhere else uh, and um, you know, use my money. People say, how do you afford it? Well, I just used to have a pretty poor car and live off baked beans, but... You know, oh. the Lord always provided in incredible ways that, that God would provide it. A check would come through just as I'm about to, ca- you know, sort of go off and catch the plane. Uh, so many wonderful stories of, of God turning up, uh, sometimes at the last minute. But God has always provided. Clearly wanting you to go to these places. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. yeah. Have you been to dangerous places? Yes. Uh, have you purposely gone to places where you know that um, as a... Christian sharing the gospel as a nation that would not be necessarily well received. Have you have yes. you purposely gone to such countries? Yes, not pur- <laughs> purposely. Um, for example, I went to just the first time it happened was was Sri Lanka, which is not particularly dangerous. But uh, I, I I did building work after the tsunami, and then felt I should go back. Uh, and carry the cross in Sri Lanka. But once I told the local Christians in Sri Lanka that I was going to carry the cross, they all said, oh, don't, don't, don't come here, they'll kill you, they'll get us, you'll get us all beaten up. And um, that, When that type of fear comes into your soul, you think, I can't go, I can't go. But something just urged me on to go. George Verwell was very um, encouraging to me. George Verwell was head of OM. And, uh, and I went... To, how, how was he encouraging to you? Well, he said, you know, you 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 know, you you phone up my guy and in uh, Sri Lanka, and he'll 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 encourage you to where to go, where where uh, you know it, it wouldn't be so dangerous. We actually did go to the place where it was supposed to be dangerous, which dangerous, which is which was the Kandy, which is the sort of Buddhist mecca, if you like. Uh, we did ex- experience potential violence. Uh, interestingly, from Buddhist monks. Um, but, you know, when I arrived in Sri Lanka, I was full of fear. And uh, I remember waking up on that morning feeling absolutely petrified that it that I was so vulnerable. As I put that cross on my shoulder, a joy flooded my spirit, if you like. I walked down a 100 yards down the road and I met a little old Indian man with pebble glasses and he asked me what I was doing. I said, look, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in Sri Lanka. And his words were, you need to come to St. Peter's Church in um, Nagambo. There are 500 people meeting uh, every Wednesday to pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in Sri Lanka. Now, you see suddenly how God provides somebody to say, you're right on track here. 
Um, other places like um, Albania, for example. Um, fear is one of the biggest obstacles to reach out to somebody anywhere. You want to reach out to somebody on the bus, in a pub, anywhere. You constantly have this fear. What would the person think? What's going to happen to me if I try to share Jesus? It's very natural. Will I be rejected? Then you put the violence in. Will I be beaten up? And it paralyzes you so you think I can't do it. But when you go full of the love of Jesus, which you saw in Paul's life in the Bible, you saw this love. He was constrained by love. The Bible says he was, const- he was compelled by love. Love makes you reach out. And all I found is as I walk in love and prayer, God has shown me that he can reach out to people and even protect you. In Bangladesh, there'd be big crowds of people. But in those crowds, we had a phenomenon where we saw people that I can only believe they were angels, supernaturally beautiful people in the crowd, egging me on as I preached the gospel. Now, I know what I saw. My mate saw it as well. It happened three or four times while we were in Bangladesh. It was like God was saying, I'm with you, Linz. You reach out to the people. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. I have been beaten up. I have, you know, I have a guy tried to strangle me on the tube trains once. I've had at Union Street in Plymouth. The guy attacked me. I remember Union Street going around in circles as I, as I did a somersault down the, down the street. Uh, you know, for most part, God has protected me from violence. But sometimes I've been through violence and, and it's worth it. It's worth reaching out and love whatever the cost is. You know, it, it, it has to be when Jesus said, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Yeah. There's a price to be paid. But when you think of what he's done for us, what agony he had on the cross, how he was stripped naked and he was mocked and he was beaten, you know, you know, it says in in Romans twelve, in the in the Living Bible, it says, "When you think of what God has done for you, what Jesus has done for you, is it too much to ask that you become a living sacrifice?" And I think that I can never pay Jesus back. It doesn't matter if I'm killed and tortured to death; it's still a thank you to Jesus. So that I still feel experience fear. I still, you know, I, I recently I feel God's guiding me to Papua New Guinea. Where, you know, there's violence. There is violence up with the tribes. And they kill, still kill each other. But um, this living testimony. Just a few days ago, my, 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 my girlfriend, Catherine, had a dream. And in this dream, she, she, she was in countries she didn't know. And she was a tribe. She heard the name of the tribe. She, 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 uh, she saw a, a woman called Julie in this dream. And she, after the dream, she got on the internet looked up the name of the tribe that she'd heard in the dream and it was a tribe in Papua New Guinea and I have a friend called Julie in Papua New Guinea and this is the way God seems to prepare me to go to a country things start happening, coincidences start happening which lead me to the point where I think God's guiding me to this country Um, and and I don't know and then you will feel an obligation to go I push the door now, Paul pushed the door in different countries. Some of the doors mm. stayed shut. Mm. And uh, so I pushed the door. I just last week emailed this friend, Julie, and talked about the dream. <laughs> but maybe in a year's time, we'll have a story of what happened in Papua New Guinea. Um, I, it's such an exciting life. I, I constantly feel 
excited, but also totally inadequate. Totally, the fear comes along with excitement. But that is the way of anything. If you climb rock climb, you know what excitement feels like, but you also know what fear feels like. And I'm not saying I'm a junkie to excitement, but I, I love the vibrant life. You know, those days back in the church where I was so bored. Yeah, okay, church services can make you bored, but following Jesus never makes you bored. He puts you on the edge time and time again. John 10, 10. Come to give life in all its fullness. In all, and I'm sensing that yeah. fullness that you're yeah. talking about there. Yeah. Come to give life in all its Absolutely. fullness. Absolutely. What would you say to someone listening to this who would love to share about Jesus, but yeah. they just feel they can't. they can't. They just can't because of fear or... Yeah. What words would you encourage them with? Yeah, I, 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 what I would say, I would say, look, you want to share Jesus, go to a place where people are. Go in a cafe, go in a pub, and start praying for the people that you see. You will be filled with a love for those people. That's the first stage. Hmm. Prayer is where you get souped up on, on the love, which is what will give you the courage to go then and sit at the table and say, excuse me, I've just been praying for you. Can I just tell you what? has happened in my own life. It, <laughs> so prayer, then going to talk go. to people, and then sharing your yeah, own... Your own story. Story. That's important, because, you know, I get... Often I, I get... My, my, my mind goes into a blank when a person's walking towards me. What can I say to this person? I don't know what to say to this person. Lord, what do I say to this person? And I'm talking to Jesus, saying I don't know what to say. <laughs> but... As soon as I find myself saying what happened to me was, I know what to say. I just tell the story of us. Told just told the story to you just now. It's it's so easy to tell your own story. You know what happens when you a person is listening to you? He's thinking this guy is normal. This guy is he's talking about stuff I can relate to. And and, and the person's faith grows, but also your face changes. You know one of the things I've noticed when a person starts telling their own story of how they met Jesus. Their face starts to radiate, their eyes get full of love, and a person is it's non-verbal communication is seeing Jesus sign from your face. And who knows, they might be thinking, I wish I had what that person had. So the testimony is so telling your story is so important. Often I say to people, just come with me on the carrying the cross. I don't want you to say anything, just come and be my friend. <laughs> yes. And then of course they people will struggle to do that though. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we're so reserved in this country. Exactly. You know, oh, I wouldn't go anywhere near a person carrying a cross. You yeah, know, yeah, you won't find me. Doing that. You know, you know, I could be a Christian. I can go to church. You know, I don't have to tell everybody about Jesus. But you know, not everybody's called to be an evangelist. No. You know, that's a spiritual gift. But we are all called to be a witness and share your story, aren't we? And I would say, see, sometimes I'm one of the things I do for this is really naughty of me, but it works. I say to the local pastor, Won't, you know, can we just walk around your estate uh, with a cross? And I don't want you to say anything. I just want to go on a pr- call it a prayer walk. That's very acceptable, not, acceptable, acceptable. non threatening. <laughs> so we start on the prayer walk, and you know, a woman comes along with a pram, and I say, and I say, "Hello, love." She said, "What's going on here?" I said, "I'm just on a mission. I'm, I've got my friend here. He's a local pastor. Have you met your local pastor yet?" <laughs> and this is this is John. And John, just tell you, tell her why you became a pastor. Brilliant. And of course, then he's given his testimony. Brilliant. Uh, and he, he didn't realise he could do it until it it happened. And of course, then we get back at the end of the prayer walk and John is absolutely thrilled to bits because God's used him. Amazing. Amazing. Now, you've written a book. 
I remember reading a story. You were in London in a pub, and you were mm. quite frightened. This big guy came up mm. to you, and, and, and you really didn't know what to say and how to say it. Mm. And, I mean, for those of you that want... Um, and it's, it's not a crash course, but it is an amazing book of different ways to share Jesus. You've got to get this book. Um, so tell us the title of the book, mm. and, and I guess people can get it. Can they get it on Amazon? Get it, get it on Amazon, they yeah, can. you can. Um, yeah, the title of the book is called When God Takes Over. Yes. Uh, I think God gave me that title because exactly what it has happens. happened in my life. God takes over, and I'm playing catch-up, if you like. So, When God Takes Over by Lindsay Heyman, Heyman H-A-M-O-N. And you, it's, it's author, author House is the publisher, Author House. So, you get it on Amazon. It costs a bit, but um, Author House it. gets most, <laughs> most of the money. Yeah. But I don't care. It, it's, if it gets accessible to people, yeah. then I'm pleased. Um, I, I had a lovely experience with somebody who read it, and they said to me, I, I, I read your book, and I went for, to have my hair cut. And I thought, actually, I could talk to the hairdresser about Jesus. <laughs> I was thrilled a bit. So it meant that it just stimulated her in yeah. having a go herself. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah, that is absolutely fantastic. Now, you've had some hardships mm. in your life. Mm. I know as, as a young guy, you there's some illness. Mm. You had some illness. And um, there has been you know, marital breakdown as mm. well. Mm. Um, how do you cope with that? Um, how does it affect your relationship with the Lord, these mm. tough times, these hard things that mm. come into your life in a very obviously real way? Mm. How, how, does, how do you cope with that? How, how does that work out in your life as a follower of Jesus? Mm. I would say I've come to love Jesus more and be more dependent on him. Um, the rejection that happens in a marriage breakdown, can destroy your soul in a way. You can, it, can, it can certainly destroy your self-confidence. Uh, but it does put you in the position of dependency on God, which, where everything, if things go right in your life all the time, it keeps you on a certain level of experience of God. But when things go wrong in your life, two things seem to happen. The breakdown actually has a, a humiliating, I'm going to call that a humiliating effect, but also a humbling effect. And the humiliation is that you probably caused some of the marital breakdown yourself, so you're aware of your sin, if you like, you're failing. That's, good. That's a good, good thing. Uh, the humbling is that you, you think, I need to change, I need to be different. That's, that, that's a good thing. But, the, but, but the, the other issue is the, the dependence on God. You know, I... I would see somebody talking from a, uh, a safe background and they would talk on a certain level. But then I would read books about people like Pastor Richard Vernbrandt who would be tortured for his faith. And I remember seeing him preaching and thinking the depth in this man. So suffering, whatever it is, it might be physical illness, it might be marriage breakdown, actually has an effect of making you cry out to God in a way that is deeper than happens when everything's going swimmingly well. And so, for example, I, I've, I, my second marriage broke down last year. And I remember the, the worst point in, my, in that year where I, was, I couldn't stop crying. Mm. The phone rang and, and, uh, at that point, And a guy said, oh, hi, Linz. Uh, I'm not sure why I phoned you. I, I didn't mean to phone you. How are you doing? I said, well, look, good, mate. Uh, 
my marriage has broken down. I'm, I'm, I just can't stop crying. And he said, oh, you don't want to suffer on your own. Come on over. And that was, oh, man, that, now the experience of God coming at my worst point and putting his hand underneath me and saying, I'm here for you. That's a proof of God. So in a way, I, I've been enriched in some way by, by the, my two marital breakdowns in terms of it's made me realise that, that I really need God, that it's humbled me, it's made me aware of my sin. It's also been, made me aware that God has held my hand. He didn't take away the marital breakdown the same way sometimes he doesn't take away your illness. But you see a guy who's suffering with illness that's learnt to find that God gives him the strength to get through it. And God has, God's held my hand through it. And when you're sitting in a pub and you're talking to a guy whose marriage has broke down and you say, do you find it hard sleeping, sleeping at night? Yeah, how do you know that? Hmm, well, you're talking about your own experience. And time and time again, God has recycled the, the suffering that I've been through, if you like, uh, through the marital breakdowns to make me more accessible to people who are also going through those things. You know, we, we all want a squeaky clean church where we have lots of nice Christians that have got nice lives and they haven't got complexities and they're just nice sorted people. But it seems to me that God is creating a church full of people who's often broken lives, who are ill, who have pressures at work, who have let people down. You know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a new church, if you like, that God is building up. It's not the nice church we used to see on Songs of Praise. Well, not knocking the churches in Songs of Praise. But you get an idea that Christians are people who are all very sorted. You know, they, but no, the, the people most, I think almost everybody I've met recently who's in love with Jesus has come from some sort of breakup in their life. And maybe God has to wait until we are actually broken before he touches our life. Before we, we allow him to touch our lives. In a deep way. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now, what I would... Um, well, I think just before carrying on, actually, I think... Um, I hope those of you that are listening to what Lindsay just shared, that, that is a help to you. And I think what you're saying is sometimes God uses difficulties, tough times that are very personal mm. to draw us closer to him. Yeah. And to recognise... We haven't got it all sorted when we thought we had it all sorted, mm. and actually our dependence upon God. Yeah, sure. I mean, the forgiveness thing is another thing. I, I, I'm more aware of my own sin now than ever before, so I want to go back to my first wife and say, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for that, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry mm. for that. You know, God does bring you to a point where you think, yeah. And the same with my second yeah. marriage, you know. We always think it's the other person's fault. Yes. Um, but, but if you start to really love your ex, God will... God will help you with your own brokenness. He'll, he'll give you love for your ex. He'll, he'll help you to forgive where there needs to be forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a very um, living issue for today where what, one in two marriages are breaking up. There's a lot of guys that feel, in our churches, who feel like they're on the scrap heap. That because their marriage is broken up, there, that's it. But God is a great way of recycling. Uh, and certainly here, I think he's recycled the things I've been through to use for his glory. Yeah, fantastic. Um, the Bible. What do you think of the Bible? Love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love, I'm like, Why I'm, do you love it? Well, it hits me between the eyes. 
Um, I love Bible verses. I've written a second book, actually, which is just full of Bible verses because I... I, mm. I, I What's that called? It, it's called um, Word on the Street. Oh, what a, great, what a great, what a great, what a great name! Uh, that's the, that's the title of our church back in Salisbury has a, has a little newsletter okay. which we send round to to people in the parish, yeah. and it's called Word on the Street. Word on the Street. So, Word on the Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what it was was because I love the Bible verses so much, I would collect them almost like somebody would collect stamps. <laughs> um, and oh, what's another good verse? And I'd write it out in a book. And before long, I had this book of all my favourite verses, and I'd read it when I was at the bus stop, and like. I'd read it in my top pocket and bring it out and start reading it on the bus and things. And then I lost it. I was so gutted. All my favourite verses, I just lost it. So I thought, well, I'm so going to... So you had to open the book again? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I ended up... I ended up having this book published um, uh, and I give it to new Christians. I give it to pastors and say, if you need a verse when you've gone to visit somebody in the hospital and you, you want that verse of comfort... Um, I've collated it a bit under different headings, uh, and uh, uh, yes, it, it, it's it's just the word of God. It, I, it impacts the word of God. I remember uh, talking with a guy in New Zealand once, and he was prevaricating about giving his heart to Jesus. He met Christians in prison, and I was trying my hardest to, to urge him to give his heart to Jesus, and it was, wasn't happening. He was going around the houses, and suddenly I opened the Bible, I showed him a Bible verse. And that verse hit him between the eyes. He suddenly said, wow. And I said, come on, let's, let's pray now. And you receive Jesus. And he, he prayed to receive Jesus into his heart. Time and time again. You know, I even use it when I'm out. I might be in a pub and I'll open the Bible. I've been thrown out of pubs just for having my Bible open in front of me. Really? Uh, yeah. But I swivel it round to the guy in front of me and I say, hello, mate, can you do us a favour? See this Dayglow verse here <laughs> in, in the Bible. Can you tell me what you think it means? <laughs> It's a great way to start a conversation. Because <laughs> oh, a devil, doesn't, he doesn't want that Bible open. You clever chap. Can you tell me what you think it means? It's like, I need some help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know exactly what yeah, it yeah, means. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Isn't I used to use it in the, I mean, they talk about this. It's like, That's I another. go to nightclubs, people dancing away. Yeah. Now, the, the mauve light that they have in the, it makes, makes the, the, the shimmering, it makes your day glow verse shimmer. So I, I would go and, and I'd stand and say, I've got this great verse for you here. Oh, and, and of course, then the Bible has been... And I mean, you can see how powerful the Bible is because you get thrown out of pubs for it. People get upset about it. You might as well put a, a cobra on the table uh, to see the reaction that people have. A snake a on cobra, the table. Yeah. Cobra, yeah. Uh, really? The, the effect that the Bible has. Just by, I remember being in a pub in, 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 um, uh, in London once... And the pub, and the, the, I just put the Bible on the bar. And the publican came along and said, uh, what's this? I said, it's a Bible. <laughs> no, no, it's a Bible. Well, I don't have any Bibles in here. Out you get, out you get. And I was thrown out the pub just for having a Bible. It's funny enough, some people came out saying, what did they throw you out for? I said, I thought they threw me out for this Bible. Do you want to have a look at it? <laughs> side of the Bible. But you can see the power of the Bible. You can see that those verses somehow have an authority and the devil wants that Bible closed. But, you know, I used to hate carrying the Bible because I used to think I looked like some stuffy Job. I'm not saying anything against Job witnesses, but there was a sort of image of Mr. Holy with a big, big, big Bible. And, uh, and, and, and I know that God wants me to have the Bible. He doesn't want me to have it hidden. He wants me to have it open. He wants me to show people Bible verses and be totally unashamed. In, in fact, totally proud of the Bible. Because there's been a... a, a 
a feeling in Great Britain uh, to marginalise the Bible. Let's, let's push the Bible aside. Let's have debates. Let's have talk, but let's not use the Bible. No, we need to get the Bible back open, you know, in schools, in cafes, in pubs, on the door-to-door stuff. Let's, let's, let's have this Bible open uh, and let's see what God does in a powerful way through, through the word of God, which is more powerful than our words. Amen. He agrees with me. Amen. Amen. I mean, oh, tell you what, come and work for Precept Ministries. <laughs> no, that is it. I mean, I don't. Sometimes I don't think people recognise how powerful. No. The word of, we think, oh, it's the Bible. It's it's yeah. word on a page. Yeah. But this is supernaturally powerful. Totally agree. Isn't it? What I do often when I pray the prayer with people, of course, people say, well, it's all right for you, Lindsay, leading people in a, in a prayer to accept Jesus and to, to accept forgiveness and to repent and to, you know, that's easy. That's like getting people to sign on the dotted line. Well, I, I always say that when people pray the prayer, that's just the first step. The second step is seeing them in McDonald's or Costa Coffee in a few days' time and opening the Bible with them in Costa Coffee. So let's, let's start looking at some Bible verses together. Uh, what you see is as they read the Bible verse, the Holy Spirit seems to flow through the Bible and they start to get revelation of truth in a way that me talking to them couldn't give. So we have a Bible study with a couple of guys who are suffering from mental illness. <sighs> wow. What these guys come out with, I say, what do you think that verse means? And they come out with things directly from God. These are guys that you would think, I cannot believe that I've just heard what I've heard. Um, and, it, and that's why Bible studies are so important. Bring back the Bible study. It doesn't have to be a stuffy thing. It can be a thing where people are allowing Jesus to reveal himself through what they read. Awesome. Do you have a favourite Bible book or character or verse? I mean, well, I have it... a favourite Bible verse, which you'd imagine I would have. <laughs> Uh, uh, you've probably got lots of you've written yeah, a book I know, your favourite Bible verses do you have one, a favourite favourite Bible verse let me say this is the one that I would always say was my all time favourite which is having heard my background that I, I don't like boring things I like exciting things here we go it, it's, it's, two, Corin- it's 2 Corinthians 5.17 yep. and it says therefore if anyone is in Christ if any was in Christ, Christ can be like the the bus, if you like, or the aeroplane. If you're in Christ, you're in there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I've just been talking to a guy just, just an hour ago whose life was full of literal violence um, and, uh, and rejection and drugs and, and, and police and prison and everything like that. To be able to say, look, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is really good news to a guy who feels there's no hope for him. So that, that's why I love this verse. It, it's the excitement of new life. You know, I love spring. Everything's new. I'm alive again. I love the resurrection. It's powerful. That Jesus is alive. He broke out of the tomb. He's alive now. And to be able to say to a guy who's had so much rejection in his life, you can become a brand new person inside. You see why it's my favourite verse. It's, it's to do with 
exactly what Jesus is. Saviour, rescuer of the world. He can give you a new start in life. Uh, and of course, you see that become a reality when people do accept Jesus. And so the word becomes flesh, if you like. You see it in reality. You really believe that, don't you? Yeah. In I fact, mean... I have to hang on to that because I have to be absolutely focused on what I believe when you're in, the, in a situation on the streets or in a pub or something like that. And, you know, people pick up insincerity. He says the earnest prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Yeah. You know, is very powerful and effective. The earnestness, you know, when you hear a guy speaking from his heart, you take notice to the, of that guy. Yeah. And if I'm talking to a whole load of, of um, service guys, <coughs> you talk to some guys who may, may, might be in the Marines or, or, or squaddies, yeah. they are not going to be attracted to a pink and fluffy presentation they have to it's got to be absolutely earnest sincere uh driving truth uh, for them to take it seriously and um, i have a particular heart for the police for the marines for you know the, the anybody who serves where where they are in danger i have tremendous respect for uh, and the only thing that We'll cut it with those sort of guys is something that really works. Yeah. Uh, this verse is talking about something that really works. You can be a brand new person inside. Lindsay, it has been a privilege to meet you, to hear just some of the amazing adventures that you have been on. I think, um, you know, you will have to wait until you get to heaven to see the fruit of your work and uh, we know it's not by work it's by faith we know that but God has called you to a very special and in a sense unique um, ministry which you have been obedient to him to do and you're still doing it (laughs) and uh, you're an example to the rest of us so thank you so much for being on the Bible and Me podcast today thank you You have been listening to The Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Preset Min UK.